they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July the 21st, and I'm in studio again. And no, Terry's not with me. He's with our grandson, praise God. We're so grateful to have our grandson and our granddaughter and our daughter-in-law and the beautiful family God has so blessed us with, and we are so blessed. So let's begin with a prayer. It is noon. We will pray the Angelus and ask the angels to join us here and um, beg God for the light to know his word and his truth and to live it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelli et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. Lord, pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us, enlighten our minds and our hearts to know your truth and to live it. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we had an app listener write in this week and ask, um, where's Judas? <laughs> Judas Iscariot, that is. Not the other Judas, the Judas, the son of James, who's a saint, Jude Thaddeus. Um, and I thought, you know, this is a biblical question, and I should tackle this one. And I want to deal with it from a biblical perspective and what the, the Bible shows us. And... You know, attached to this question are several other questions. The question of human freedom. Does God respect our freedom? Does he violate it? Will he force salvation upon us? Or do we have to choose it freely? Um, is it possible for us to reject salvation? And then, um, you know, the question of um, what's the difference between repentance and remorse? Have I repented of my sins or do I have remorse? So we want to look at all of these things, but we want to look at Judas carefully and what the scripture says very clearly about him. And um, it's not for me to judge Judas or to say I am better than him. The reality is that God 
uses everything as a way to warn us. Our salvation is precarious. And as Paul says in one of his letters, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We cannot possibly merit on our own merits heaven. We couldn't possibly attain to the supernatural end to which we are called because we're natural creatures. Only God can lift us up to this. And Mother Teresa was there when Cardinal O'Connor was raised to the cardinalate. And as he was processing out, he saw Mother Teresa over to the side and he broke procession and went over to her and greeted her. And Mother Teresa said three words to him, give God permission. What? God needs our permission? Yes, God needs our permission. Jesus Christ came to save all men. His suffering was to make reparation for the sins of all men of all time. But the question is, are we going to respond and accept his love? Are we going to say, I let your love in. I am sorry that I have sinned. And I am a sinner, Lord, and I acknowledge my weakness. As St. Paul, you know, he had this great vision. You know, he was caught up to the seventh heaven. And and he said, in order to keep me humble, God gave me an angel of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, an angel of Satan to tempt me. And three times I begged him, Lord, take this from me. Take this from me. Take this from me. And he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness is my power brought to perfection. Paul goes on to conclude, so I willingly rejoice in my weakness so that the power of Christ may shine through me. Now, does that mean Paul decided, well, now I'm going to live a life of sin and debauchery? Well, read Romans. You know, Paul writes where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And then he goes on to write, well, now don't you go out and say that Paul said you can go out and sin because grace is going to abound all the more when you do that. (laughs) Because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that where there is great sin, God will provide the graces for us to resist the sin. We don't have to be afraid of the temptation. We don't have to run from temptation and fear. We need to look at temptation and say, yes, Lord, I find that attractive or I don't find that attractive, but I find the weakness in me that wants to go in that direction. If, what it, you know, Sometimes temptation is not attractive to us. It's like, Lord, just give me the strength to resist it, you know? Or, or, or sometimes the, the, the temptation is attractive to us. And then it's, okay, I do find the attraction in it, Lord, but give me the strength to say no. No to my own flesh. No to the disordered passions of my body. To discipline myself to follow the Lord. In his general audience on Wednesday, the 18th of October, 2006, in St. Peter's Square, Pope Benedict XVI addresses Judas and then his replacement, Matthias. And in reading for this particular show, I I found um, lots of ancient theories and and heresies about, well, you know, maybe Judas wasn't really an apostle and this and that. Well, um, Pope Benedict points out in in his talk, he says, no, too many times, you know, he was was there. He was one of the 12, okay? He is one of the 12. The Lord chose him. You have many times in the gospel, um, you know, at the end of John 6, and and Jesus says to Peter, when when many of his apostles leave him over the the teaching of the bread of life, and um, Jesus says to them, well, are you going to go? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. 
And we believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. And so Jesus says to them, did I not choose you, the 12? Judas is there. And yet one of you is a devil. Jesus chose Judas to be one of the 12. He reaches out to Judas to turn away from his sinful ways and to turn to the Lord for his strength and his comfort. Um, you know, we're told in the apostle in the, uh, um, excuse me, we are told in the um, gospels that Judas was a thief, that he held the money pouch for the apostles and he liked to help himself to it. This is a warning to us. You know, Bishop Sheen said, you know, oftentimes if um, there are Catholics who've left the church or um, Christians who believe the Catholic church is the true church, but won't join it. If you push them to the wall, you might find they have a moral difference with Christ. He said the one exception of that was Judas. And then he explains that Judas left Jesus at John six, but he didn't leave the company of the 12. He didn't walk away with the other disciples who left. Instead, he stayed with the company. Why? Because he held the purse and he liked to help himself to it and he liked the money. So we have to overcome our attachment to the things of this world. If we're going to follow Christ, we need to let go of that. Warning signs along the way. Are we attached to the things of this world? Are we renouncing our attachment to our entertainments, to our laziness, to our um, wanting to condemn everybody else around us and putting ourselves up on a pedestal? to thinking that the world revolves around us and everybody should be serving us and taking care of us. All of these things, we have to renounce them and we need to put Christ first, serve the Lord and serve our neighbor. You know, Bishop Sheen had that, that poem, you know, I sought my God, but my God, I could not see. I sought myself, but myself eluded me. I sought my neighbor and I found all three. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of your brothers, you do for me. Judas wasn't doing for the least of the brothers. The purse was for the poor and for others. And remember when the, the, the woman comes and anoints Jesus at Bethany um, at, in John 12, 4, Judas says, oh, why this waste of money? Why that oil could have been, this was perfume nard, expensive oil. And she breaks the jar. She pours it out. There's nothing left. None of it's saved. And he said, that could have been sold for so much and the money given to the poor. And that's where John tells us he wasn't concerned about the poor. He held the purse and he was a thief. He was concerned about himself and his attachment to money. So we have these things and Benedict, Pope Benedict points these out. And he shows that, yes, Judas was really one of the 12. He was really an apostle. He was really um, one of the first bishops of the Catholic church. But what happens Judas, you might say, had a plan. I could sell this man for 30 pieces of silver. I've seen him get out of tough spots before. Now, Judas um, was a bit of a revolutionary and um, perhaps and wanted to make sure that Jesus was actually going to establish the kingdom of Israel on earth. And some think that maybe his motive was that if I betray him, then that's going to force his hand and he's going to have to fight. So we'll be back with more on the other side of this break. Don't go away. We want to talk more about this, and we want to look at the scripture passages and what the fathers of the church have taught us. Please share this with your family and friends. Let them know that there's a Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And um, thank you for supporting us. And please share the app, share the social media platforms that carry our that signal. We'll be right back. Don't go away. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July the 21st, 2023. So we have this, um, you know, the, um, the one who was to hand him over, okay? That's, that's given to us in John 6, 71 and John uh, 12, 4 at Bethany. So John 6, 71, which was John 6, where Jesus knew who would hand him over and then in John 12, uh, 4, Jesus was, Judas was the one who would hand him over. But then also you have, um, in several places, you have Judas Iscariot who betrayed him, all right? Ma- Mark three nineteen, Matthew 10, 4, and Luke six sixteen. So already early on in the Gospels, it's already revealed to us that Judas is the one who would hand him over. And then, of course, that's fulfilled. You have it in Matthew um, 26, 25. And Jesus at the Last Supper says, one of you is about to betray me. You know, and oh, who is it, Lord? And, and all of them ask. And then Judas says, is it I, Lord? And he said, you have said it. You, you have said it. And um, in John's gospel, they, Peter asked John to, to, she indicates to John, you should ask, because John's sitting next to Jesus. And, and John says, who is it? And he said, the one to whom I dipped the morsel and hand it to him. And so he dips the morsel and he hands it to Judas. Now, and here is the mystery. Here's the great mystery of Judas, okay? When Jesus hands that morsel to Judas, what does John say? He said, Judas took the morsel and ate it. And when he did so, Satan entered into his heart. And Judas went out. And it was night. Satan enters into the heart of Judas. Now, Remember this, Satan doesn't just enter into our heart. He doesn't just have admission to our hearts. Unless we turn away from God and sin mortally and deliberately and cast God out of our hearts. If we live in the state of grace, Satan is blocked from entering our hearts. Now he can tempt us. Yes, he can tempt us. We have concupiscence. We don't need his help to sin, by the way. Every temptation we have doesn't come from the devil. We have our own weakened flesh, you know, we have to battle against our own flesh. But, but Pope Benedict points out, it, it's a great mystery. You know, why would Judas betray him? Why would he? And yet there, within this mystery is this supernatural aspect. The battle for his soul is going on. Jesus is battling for his salvation. And Satan is battling against Jesus to get Judas to sin. And Judas has to make the choice. Remember in the book of Genesis, when Cain is angry at his brother because he's jealous of him, God accepted Abel's offering and he doesn't accept Cain's because Cain is wicked. And God says to Cain, he says, Cain, sin is lurking at your door. But you can be its master. But what does Cain do? He invites his brother out into the field so that he can kill him. Well, God sees it. God sees it. Where's your brother, Cain? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, his, his blood cries out from the soil for vengeance, Cain. You killed your brother because you were jealous. Sin was lurking at the door. And instead of saying no, instead of turning your face back to me, you turned your face away from me and focused on your jealousy. Judas, instead of turning back to Jesus, turns away. Now, it's interesting. 
Pope Benedict goes on, and again, he, he talks about this, this reality of this battle that goes on. It's a spiritual battle, and this goes on for every one of our souls. A- and we have two people involved here that, you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus told someone else that they would um, deny him that night. Now, he didn't. He said, one of you is about to betray me. That was Judas. But then he tells Peter, he says, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. You'll deny that you know me. So let's look at the two and what happens. Well, what happens when Peter denies Jesus? He, he's there in the courtyard. The third time he denies him, the cock crows. And what happens? Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly, bitterly. And it is said that his tears were so profuse that they furrowed his face. They cut furrows in his face. He was truly sorry from the depth of his heart. I have betrayed him. Not betrayed him, but denied him. I denied him. When at last it came to choices, I denied I knew his name. The, the um, Continental Singers, a group, Christian group that used to go around the world singing, um, saying that the song about you know the, the resurrection. And, and Peter says, even if he was alive, it wouldn't be the same. Because when it came to choices, I denied I knew him. What am I going to do? I, I denied him. <laughs> I mean, I said I would die for him, and I denied him. But Peter weeps bitterly, and he goes back to the community. He doesn't isolate himself from the community. And this is um, interesting because we have a sermon from Pope, I believe it was in Pope Leo the Great's sermon. It says, the traitor Judas does not attain to this mercy, For the son of perdition, at whose right hand the devil had stood, had before this death in despair, even while Christ was fulfilling the mystery of the general redemption. So Christ is dying on the cross and Judas goes out and despairs and hangs himself. Even he perhaps might have obtained this forgiveness had he not hastened to the gallow tree. For the Lord died for all evildoers, There's no sin that God cannot forgive if we say, I'm sorry. But nothing, even the warning of the Savior's mercy found place in that wicked heart. At one time given over to petty cheating and then committed to the dread parasitical traffic. The godless betrayer shutting his mind to all these things, expressions of the Lord's mercy, Turn upon himself, not with a mind to repent, but in madness of self-destruction, so that this man who had sold the author of life to the executioners of his death, even in the act of dying, sinned unto the increase of his own eternal punishment. That's from Pope Leo the Great. Um, so what happens here? Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. He repents. And he stays with the community and he continues to pray. He's confused. He doesn't know what to do. He denied he knew his name. Judas, however, goes to the chief priest and he says, I am guilty of betraying innocent blood. So you think, oh, he was repenting, right? Except what? They said, well, see to it yourself. That's your problem, not ours. (laughs) Isn't that the way it goes? People encourage us to sin. But then when we recognize we sin and we try and tell those people, you know, it's like, it's like that. Before we sin, Christ is saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. He's opposing us. And, after we, and before we sin, the devil's saying, oh, do it. It's not that bad. Go right ahead, you know, whatever. 
And then after we sin, Christ is saying, come to me for mercy, come to me for mercy, come to me for mercy. And the devil's saying, God could never forgive you. You're so horrible. No one could ever forgive you. This sin can't be forgiven. So before we sin, Christ is accusing us in terms of pointing out the sin to us. Restrain yourself. You have the power with my grace to resist this. But the devil's encouraging us. After the sin, Christ is begging us to come to him for mercy. And the devil is accusing us and telling us, you may as well despair because now you've lost it all. There's nothing you can do anymore. And Peter felt that, but he wept bitterly. Whereas Judas takes the money and flings it into the temple. He's angry. And this is the deal. We have to humble our pride in that moment when we recognize that we've sinned. We can't just respond with anger. Remorse, remember, murderers have remorse oftentimes after they kill someone. They have remorse, but they don't repent. They won't admit that they are completely responsible for what they've done, that they've offended God and they've offended their brother and that they need to say, I am sorry. No, they have remorse. They turn in on themselves. Oh, I'm so horrible. I'm so awful. They're repeating the devil's words to them. They're beating themselves up. They're looking at themselves. They won't look at Christ. And according to St. Gregory the Great, this is what Judas did. And this is apparent from the gospel, what he did. Jesus says of Judas, it would have been better for the son of perdition if he had never been born. That's not my judgment. (laughs) And Peter in the Acts of the Apostles said that Judas goes to his own place. And, you know, some people like to haggle on words or, you know, the differences in the accounts, you know, that Judas went out and hanged himself is a positive statement in Matthew, whereas in the Acts of the Apostles, it said that Judas went out and bought a field and fell headlong onto it and his, his bowels burst open and he died. He's, it, you know, his bowels burst open, you, he died. Well, he, he didn't have to say he died. That's implied there. Well, did he hang himself and then the rope in the sun when it when his when the rope got weak or someone came and cut it he fell and burst his bowels and did he buy the field or as he as it says in the gospels he throws the money into the temple and the scribes and the pharisees go and they pick it up and they're like well this is blood money we can't put that back in the treasury no 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 so they went and bought the potter's field <laughs> the blood field right the the field that was bought with the money that betrayed christ and, and is that where, and, and so indirectly Judas bought the field. He didn't buy it directly, but it was bought with the money that he got. It was still his money. The scribes and Pharisees wouldn't take it back. They didn't take it back. It was still his money. So they used his money. So it's not, it's not like those two accounts are totally contradictory. They can be reconciled. But the point of it is, is that that mystery of temptation and the devil trying to trap us into despair And this is apparently what Judas fell into, was despair. He did not turn back. Peter, however, goes back to the community and he prays. And when Jesus is there, when Jesus comes on the first day of the week and stands in their midst, Peter receives the mercy. He looks into Jesus' eyes and he sees. And he's sorry. And later on on at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus will give him an opportunity 
to repair the damage done by his threefold betrayal, he's given three opportunities to profess his love for Christ. Okay. <clears throat> Another, um, St. Augustine had this to say, it is not lawful to take the law into our own hands and slay even a guilty person whose death no public sentence has warranted. Then certainly he who kills himself is a homicide. To kill, suicide is to kill yourself. That's homicide. <clears throat> Excuse me. They say, I have a frog in my throat. Hey, little froggy. Do we justly um, execrate the deed of Judas and does truth itself pronounce that by hanging himself, he rather aggravated than expiated the guilt of the most iniquitous betrayal? Since he be, he be despairing of God's mercy in his sorrow, in his remorse <clears throat> that wrought death, he left to himself no place for healing penitence. For Judas, when he killed himself, killed a wicked man and passed from this life chargeable not only with the death of Christ, but with his own. I'll be right back. I hear that music. I must be having a great time here. Don't go away. Let everyone know that they can join us here on this Bible study. This Friday, July. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July the 21st, 2023. Uh, the Feast of St. Lawrence Brindisi, by the way. Doctor of the Church. So I want to remind you um, that I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this question because someone asked what happened to Judas. And the clear witness of Scripture and the fathers of the church is that, you know, from what we read, Judas despaired. And if we despair of God's mercy, there's no salvation for us. And I'm going to read again. I'm, I was reading from Pope Benedict's um, uh, this here, his general audience, Wednesday, the 18th of October, 2006, where he talks about Judas. And he, you know, Matthias, the, 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 the one who was chosen to take Judas's office. He was, he let another his bishopric take. Pope Benedict says this, the betrayal of Judas remains in any case a mystery. Jesus treated him as a friend. Even in the garden, when Judas comes to give him that kiss, he says, friend, why are you here? He's still begging Jesus to, Judas, Jesus is begging Judas to look at Jesus and accept mercy. However, in his invitation to follow him along the way of the Beatitudes, Jesus does not force his will or protect. He doesn't force Judas's will and he doesn't protect it from the temptation of Satan. Respecting human freedom. God wants us to love him. And in order to love, we have to be free. He can't make the choice for us. We have to make the choice. In effect, the possibility to pervert the human heart are truly many. There are many possibilities of perverting the human heart, Pope Benedict says. The only way to prevent it consists in not cultivating an individualistic, autonomous vision of things. Oh, whoa, wait a minute. What are we cultivating in our society? 
an individualistic autonomous vision of things. Well, wait a minute. The only way to prevent perverting the human heart is to not cultivate an individualistic autonomous vision of things. On the contrary, we must put ourselves always on the side of Jesus, assuming his point of view. We must daily seek to build full communion with him. Daily seek to build full communion with him. Peter had opposed Jesus. Remember when Jesus talks about his passion and Peter said, oh no, Lord, not you. This could never happen to you. Jesus says, you're not on the side of God, Peter. You're, You're thinking the thoughts of men. You need to change the way you think. So after his fall, Peter repented and found pardon and grace. Judas also repented with remorse, but his repentance degenerated into desperation and thus became self-destructive. His repentance degenerated into despair and became self-destructive. For us, it is an invitation to always remember what St. Benedict says in the end of the fundamental chapter five of his rule. Never, 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 never despair of God's mercy. I'm adding the nevers there. You know, it's kind of like um, Winston Churchill's shortest speech during the war, during World War II, when they were fighting, when England was fighting against Germany and Germany's bombarding him. Churchill says, never give up. Never, never, never give up. Never, 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 never give up. And that was the end of his speech. (laughs) He's like, no, we have to stand strong. And again, never give in to despair. Never, never, never give in to despair. In fact, uh, St. Benedict, St. Benedict, the rule of St. Benedict, uh, the founder of the Benedictines goes on to write, God is greater than our hearts. Excuse me, that's a quote from St. John, 1 John 3.20. In fact, God is greater than our hearts. He's greater than our hearts. We don't have to worry. Our hearts can accuse us of anything and we can say, Lord, yes, I'm a sinner and you came to save sinners. So I throw myself on your mercy, Lord. It doesn't matter what I've done. I am really sorry if I'm really sorry. Now, remember, you can't manipulate God. You know, sometimes we try and manipulate God for personal gain. You know, I'm going to tell God I'm sorry because, but I'm going to go on sinning. You know, I presume on his mercy. Um, Well, wait a minute. Um, (laughs) So, you know, let's not presume on the mercy of God because that in and of itself is a sin, a grave sin. And if I know it and I do it willingly with full consent of my will, um, that's a mortal sin. You know, serious moral evil. Presumption is serious moral evil. Don't presume that you're going to have an opportunity to repent. Don't plan on sinning and then presume that you're going to have the opportunity to repent. All right. We have to remember two things, Pope Benedict goes on. Jesus respects our freedom and Jesus awaits our openness to repentance and conversion. He is rich in mercy and forgiveness. 
It's not that Judas was so evil that God couldn't forgive him. That's not the problem. God can forgive anyone. Blessed Bartolo Longo was a Catholic who became a Satanist priest. And he repented and he became a blessed of the Catholic Church. He's a saint. He turned back to the Lord. How many sinners? Look, you know, this is here we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We're sinners. We're all sinners. We're all in this together. We sinned and have fallen short of the mercy of God. But God in his mercy wants to bring us to himself. He wants to forgive us. Yes, Judas's betrayal led to the death of Jesus, but that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is he didn't turn to the Lord and say, I'm sorry. He went to the Pharisees and said, I'm, I'm wrong. I did what was wrong. And then when they say, well, that's your problem, he gets angry. He gets angry. And he flings the money into the temple and runs off and hangs himself. Don't ever despair of God's mercy. Okay, don't ever despair. We can be forgiven anything if we turn to the Lord and repent. You know, God calls us to mercy. God is merciful. Did Jesus come to condemn the world? No. What is, what is you know, John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent his son into the world, it goes on in verse 17, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So, the possibility of hell is real. And this idea that runs about nowadays, oh, well, yes, we can believe there's a hell, but we don't have to believe anybody's there. No, honey, that's not true. Here's the problem with that. The problem of, with that is that it is to deny the evident witness of scripture. To say that there's no one in hell is to deny the evident witness of scripture. Jesus says that at the last judgment, he will gather all men to himself and he will say, separate them into two groups, the, the good and the bad. And what, what delineates them? To those on his left, the, the bad, he will say, out of my sight, you condemned into the everlasting fire prepared for Satan and his angels. No, that fire wasn't made for man. God never intended for any man to go to hell. By the way, he never intended for Satan to go to hell. Satan made a choice. Lucifer rebelled against God. And Lucifer tempts us to do the same. So we have to be on our guard. What does Peter tell us? Be vigilant and alert because your enemy, the devil, is prowling about like a roaring lion, ready to devour you. Resist him, solid in your faith. We have to resist him. Resist him and he will take flight, James tells us. Resist him and he will take flight. But the devil is out there and he's roaring about like, and he, he, he's just, you know, anything. And by the way, he's very, very clever. He's very intelligent. You were no match for him. 
Paul warns us, God warns us through Paul's writings, the Holy Spirit warns us, your battle is not with flesh and blood. I mean, it is with flesh and blood, but it's with more. It's with powers and principalities. So if Satan can't get you to commit mortal sins, you know, sins of breaking God's law, then you know what he does? He tempts good people to do good things that are not their duty. Things that make them feel good and fill them with pride. Why? Because God resists the proud and they cannot get into heaven. You see, this was Satan's problem. Pride. He couldn't humble himself before the Lord. And so if we do a lot of good works and we have a lot of pride in our good works, what happens when we stand before God and he says, look at all your sins? Are we going to say, Lord, I'm sorry I sinned? Or are we going to stand on our pride and say, but, but I did all this good stuff. What about all this? Well, honey, no, you know, no, pride goeth before the fall. And by the way, he can start with, he'll start, Satan will start by tempting us to do, you know, good things that aren't our duty. And then he will, he leads us down a path of sin. And the more we commit sin, the darker our intellect becomes, the weaker our will becomes. And when we're tempted to commit mortal sin, we fall easily. And when we're prideful, when we sin mortally, we are just so beside ourselves. We're like Judas. Oh, how could I have done that? Oh, how could I have been so stupid? Oh, I, 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 I'm horrible. I'm awful. I couldn't be forgiven. God could never forgive me. And we focus on ourselves and we forget about the mercy of God. We forget about that gaze of tender compassion that knows what is in us and that which is capable of transforming us. Those breaks just come up too fast. I will be right back. Don't go away. Please ask your friends and families to join us. And please share this. Share this program with others and our radio show. And I'll be back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I want to remember to thank all the radio stations that pick us up, all the um, social media platforms that carry us. I know we're on Rumble, we're on um, Facebook, we're on YouTube on the Full Sheen Ahead channel, which is not necessarily full programs, but you can hear snippets of our programs and then go and listen to the, the podcasts. Um, we're also on uh, virginmostpowerfulradio.org, our own website, and we have a free app. So we're talking about Judas, we're talking about repentance and remorse, we're talking about um, God respecting our freedom, and now we want to talk about the mercy of God. I want to talk about remorse. Okay, what is the biblical difference between remorse, and what does it say in the Bible? Okay, remorse is primary sorrowful for the consequences of our sin. So Judas was sorry for the consequence of his sin. It was like, you know, things are not going the way I planned. Jesus wasn't supposed to get betrayed unto death. He was supposed to just, um, you know, start the revolution and that's not happening. Uh, this isn't going the way I planned it. Repentance is primarily sorrowful for sinning against the love and holiness of God. They are different in their direction. Remorse drives us away from God, leaving us feeling guilty and unchanged. Repentance drives us back to God because we know he loves us. And Here's the deal. Apparently, Judas didn't know. Even though Jesus is reaching out to him, Judas didn't know that he was loved, loved by God. And that's, that's the tragedy of it all. It's just, you know, heaven's 
And this is, this is, you know, our relationship with God, our religion is about falling in love with God who loves us. Okay. I don't care what sin you've commit. God calls us all to repentance, to love, to, to look at the cross. Is there a hell? Can people really go there? Absolutely. That's what Jesus said. He said, at the last judgment, I will say to those on my left, out of my sight. Why? Because I was hungry and you wouldn't give me to eat. I was thirsty and you wouldn't give me to drink. I was naked and you wouldn't clothe me. I was sick or in prison and you wouldn't visit me. I was away from home and you wouldn't shelter me. When, Lord, whatever you did to the least of my brothers, you did to me. And the same to those on his right, the ones that he's going to take to heaven. Well, you know, I was hungry and you did give me to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me to drink and I was sick and in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you sheltered me. When, Lord, when? When you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Are we serving for Christ's sake, our neighbor? Are we reaching out to those who need? And you know, sinners need to know that sin is sin and we're all sinners and we all need to repent. You know, Father Mike Schmidt talked about being gay and it's interesting. He doesn't start with saying, he says, I'm going to start somewhere where most people don't start. I'm going to start with the issue of contraception. You see, there are lots of Catholics who unfortunately use contraceptives in their marriage. And by the way, this was widespread before Vatican II, uh, ergo, Pope Paul VI had to write Humanae Vitae. The use of artificial contraceptives had already been condemned in Casti Canubi by Pope Pius XI in 1931, I think it was, in response to the Lambeth Conference when the Anglicans caved on the issue and said, well, in the hard cases, yeah, people can use contraceptives in their marriage. No Protestant up to that point had allowed that for that because when you do that, you distort the meaning of human sexuality. It, it becomes, when you allow for contraception, when you remove the possibility of offspring from marriage, then now you're no longer two persons who love one another, who freely give themselves to other, with each other without reserve and are open to life. God made human sexuality for union and procreation. And we divide what God made. And so we all have to be chaste. And to be chaste means that we use our human sexuality as a way to draw closer to God. We either live a celibate life in perfect continence for the love of God, loving God first and serving him. And then if we're called to marriage, we can use the conjugal act within marriage always open to life and as giving ourselves as a free gift to our spouse for the betterment of the spouse, not for myself, not for my own pleasure. Contraceptive enters in and now my spouse becomes an object to be used. Um, that's wrong. And children, oh, they become a burden. No, children aren't a burden. They're a blessing. Well, how does that relate to homosexuality? Father Schmidt had a brother who came to him and said, I'm, I'm gay. And Father Smith said, so you're gay. What are you going to do about it? And his brother's like, well, don't you want to know how I, what, how this happened or what I found out or what? He said, no, I just want to know what you're going to do about it. He said, look, brother, 
I don't remember what his brother's name was, you know, whatever his name was, Joe. Um, I'm a priest. I love women, but I'm vowed to celibacy. So I have to say no to myself every single day. If I see a beautiful woman, I say, no, God, I belong to you and she belongs to you too. And she doesn't belong to me and I don't have a right to lust after her or desire her. So I can renounce that desire. I can renounce that attitude in order to give myself more fully to Christ and also allow other people their freedom. You know, when we use other people, they're not free. We're using them. They're just toys. They're objects. And, and, and we're degrading them and ourselves. So, you know, it's not, you know, homosexuality, I'm not condemning homosexuals for feeling attraction to people of the same sex. And by the way, we know psychologically it happens in males, they've done more studies, but in males, either because their first sexual experience was with another male and or they didn't have a strong father in their life. And oftentimes when the father leaves the family, the family's unprotected. And so boys get molested by coaches or teachers because dad's not there to protect them. It's happened over and over again. You can, you can talk to men who... Yeah, now they're men and they're grown. And some of them, have, there's the John Paul II Healing Ministries were founded by Dr. Bob Schutz. And he was one of those young men who, his dad left the family. There were six children. Within a month of his father leaving, Bob Schutz was molested by a coach. His dad wasn't there to protect him anymore. So that, that betrayal, the father not taking his responsibility for his family, left his son vulnerable. But father, but Mr. Schutz didn't leave Christ, and he didn't leave the church, and he found healing, and he realized, whatever tendencies I experience, I can be redeemed. And like, there's Courage. It's a group founded by Father John Harvey. And there are homosexuals who live celibate lives because they found that in that celibacy, there is freedom. That they're no longer slaves to their passions. They're no longer eaten up by the past neglect or abuse that they experienced. And they find freedom and redemption in Jesus Christ. So the Catholic Church is not condemning homosexuals for feeling attraction to someone of the same sex. They're saying... Keep the commandments. We're all called to keep the commandments. This is reality. And this is how we'll find freedom. And by the way, this is what Judas didn't do. There's a commandment. Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> Oops. Judas forgot that commandment. He knew that commandment. But he allowed himself to steal. And sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. And when Jesus gave the teaching on the bread of life, Judas doesn't leave. But he left Christ. And that becomes evident because Jesus says to the 12, are you going to leave? It's like, okay, Judas, I know what's in your heart. Are you going to leave me now? And nobody says anything but Peter. Peter says, Lord, who, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. What are we going to do? You are the Christ. And he said, Peter, did I not choose you the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. And then John goes on to give the commentary. He was referring to Judas Iscariot, who would betray him, who would betray him. And so we have this reality. Sin is always lurking at the door, but we can be its master. The Ten Commandments aren't just for those of us 
or, you know, and how many of us haven't been wounded? I was going to say for those of us who aren't wounded. Well, excuse me. How many of us aren't wounded? You know, they say, they say, um, is it, oh gosh, what is it? 30% of girls have expected, experienced sexual molestation in their childhood. And um, I think it's 25% of boys. You know, that's a huge portion of the population. And it's, now it's worse. And this, this new movie, Thank You God, it came out, Sounds of Freedom. It brings out the reality of human trafficking. We need to address this. We need to protect our children. You know, it's not right that people in this world are parading around in the streets naked and saying that it's right for adults to have sex with children, to have conjugal relations with children. No, it's not. Children have a latency period where they don't have to worry about the responsibility of a family. They're little children. They don't have to carry that responsibility. And you're placing on them a burden that they can't carry. You're taking away their innocence. Some of them, before they even know what innocence is, they haven't even reached the age of reason yet, and you're already molesting them. That's what the, that's what the Kinsey report was all about. Dr. Kinsey was allowed to take little babies and deliver them over into the hands of homosexual men, child predators, child, what do they call it, pedophiles, convicted criminal pedophiles in prisons and allow these men to abuse these children, infants. What do you think that did to them? People, we need to wake up. And by the way, this comes from the contraceptive mentality. All of this horror comes because when we degrade human sexuality, when we, when we divide what God has joined together, love and life, we're all called to live chastely and we can. Yes, sin is lurking at the door, but we can be its master. In our weakness is the power of God brought to perfection. Lord, I'm weak and I'm sinful, but I don't want sin. I renounce sin. I renew my baptismal vows. I renounce sin and I renounce Satan and all his pomps and works and all his empty promises. And I profess my belief in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in the salvation that's won for me in Christ Jesus. And in the, I b- believe the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. The show has come to an end, and there's so much I want to say, but please, please, let's all turn to the Lord, go to confession, beg God for his mercy, know that our wounds are not an obstacle to God's grace and mercy, know that our sins are not an obstacle to God's grace, God's grace and mercy. God loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. He wants to draw us into his glory. He wants us to live in union with him. He wants us to live in grace. Turn to the Lord in your need and you will turn to Christ and ask for him. Thank you for joining us. Please continue to support us to the best of your ability and especially with your prayers and sacrifices. We'll be back, please God, next week.